Just past 7 o'clock. Start getting excited. It's time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, today's a day I love. Pitchers and catchers starting to report for baseball. I know it's a little too early to be getting excited about spring training, but I saw Marcus Stroman getting loose in Port St. Lucie for the Mets today. He was one of the first guys I've seen report. Well, they, the Mets better. They don't want any injuries, so they better be <laughs> healthy. I noticed that the Mets, the, the big uh, scandal or whatever, is that they're not letting the minor leaguers dress in the major league clubhouse until yeah. they become major leaguers, and they thought that was a problem. I thought that was a great idea. It's like, why should they be dressing in the major league? Give them something to, to work hard for. And want to know, it's funny. I, I read today that, like, almost all the teams do that, too. It's not like <laughs> anything new to the Mets, but anytime you can poo-poo on the Mets, I think people get excited about that. Speaking of getting excited, how much XFL did you watch this weekend? Uh, just a few minutes yeah I, I we'll we'll talk about it briefly but it was um it's I, I like some of the rule changes you know some of the stuff that they're trying to do I don't know if the product is quite where it needs to be yet but either way I was excited to see some kind of football in the offseason well it's good I mean I think the XFL starting right after the Super Bowl and they got like three four million people watched it which is I think is almost as many people watched the Oscars last night so if you're watching sports talk radio just today we're not going to be talking about breaking down <laughs> Parasite and whether what the movies considering I heard calls like I had a friend of mine who saw the movie and then they were commenting for like three hours on a sports talk radio show about a movie that no one watched but go ahead so Ira one of the issues with that is they don't have any material let yet here on Iron sports at 720 we're gonna have John Michael stop by he's he's a good friend of the show. Tell us about John Michael. He's the play-by-play announcer for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, get some insight on the Cavs. They have a lot of good young players. Uh, he's going to get his insight in terms of some memories about Kobe Bryant because he's broadcast many of Kobe's games. Mm-hmm. And also the Cavaliers are coming in February 22nd to play the Heat for the Dwayne Wade retirement game. So we can get some, ask some comments about Dwayne Wade and, and his memories of Dwayne Wade. Yeah, John is an excellent interview. We'll talk to him at 7.20. Then at 7.35, he's one of the most important people in Palm Beach County. Also, uh, just one of the nicest guys. He's Ken Kennerly. Tell us about him. Well, he's the literally the founder of the Honda Classic. Mm-hmm. And as he said on the show, it, uh, this tournament started with 40,000 people when he took over, and now it has 240,000 people. So he really built this. this. We're so excited. I know it's three weeks away, but just it's just it's going to be a great tournament. Uh, big names have been announced. They have Kepka's coming. Yeah. Fowler's coming. Uh, so we're excited about that. Yeah, it's it's the biggest sporting event in Palm Beach County, and we're, uh, we're front line with it. And Ken Kennerly will be here to tell us all about it at 730. You're not going to want to miss this. Ira, where you been this week? This was a quiet... You finally got to relax a little bit, I think. Just a quiet week of going around, but I did watch lots of sports. But I... I... <laughs> Well, let's talk about, um, let's go to college basketball first. And obviously, you're a big Duke supporter. You guys had a, a big game against the, your biggest rival, Carolina. Well, it's not just the biggest rival. I mean, I think arguably it's the best rivalry in sports. I mean, the fact that Duke and Carolina sit like a couple miles apart each other. They've been the t- two of the top teams in college basketball forever. And I think one of the greatest stats, they played over the last 100 games. They were 50 and 50 against each other. And how about this? On points, they each scored 7,746 points. I mean, that Crazy. is just it's crazy. <laughs> and so, but Duke broke the tie just barely with a win. And I was at a wedding and uh, and I was like, uh, so I'm not supposed to be watching, but thank goodness for my phone. I got the last 10. <laughs> I was checking the scores and seeing how close it was. And then with 10 minutes to go, I'm starting to watch the game. And, and Carolina was up. They were dominating. Now, Carolina has had a terrible year. They're sub 500. They start the year number nine in the country. It's been a disaster. They have Cole Anthony, who might be one of the top five players in the draft. He was hurt for about a month. But it's been just the worst year in Dean Smith, I mean, and Roy Williams's, say even Dean Smith's, but Roy Williams's <laughs> career. Uh, but they were up 77-64, 13 points with three minutes to go. And then they missed, Carolina missed six free throws, four shots. And the next three minutes, Duke cuts the lead to 83-81 with 16 seconds to go. And then they, Duke tried, but then with six seconds to go, they were, UNC was shooting two foul shots. Uh, the guy made one of the foul shots. Duke gets the ball. And so Carolina plays saying, let's intentionally foul and not mm-hmm. let them get a three-point. We're up three, so let them make two. Uh, and Trey Jones goes to the line. He makes the first, and then he intentionally misses the second with six seconds to go. Intentionally misses the second shot. I never saw an intentional miss like that. It hit. He just like threw it at the backboard. It grazed the rim, hit the back, flew all the way back. That never he, happens. <laughs> he gets the ball, and then he dribbles up past the foul line, and then sinks a, a two-point shot with no time left. Suddenly, it's tied. So now we got overtime. Duke's going crazy. This is great. Then you get to overtime. Duke's up 90-85, like in the first minute. 
Do you think Carolina is demoralized that they just blew this entire game? Then UNC got up five points with 21 seconds to go. And then with 13 seconds to go, UNC, this is a disputed call, threw the ball away. I mean, they kept turning the ball over, mistakes left and right. But Trey Jones was went to the foul line. So he was down by, they were down by one. Mm-hmm. Trey Jones goes to the line of Duke, makes and he makes the first foul shot to tie it. So he, if he just makes one more foul shot, they win the game. And he misses the foul shot. Duke gets the rebound. It taps back. Jones then takes a, a wild three-point shot. It's an air ball. Wendell Moore gets the rebound with no times left. Put it in. They win by one. I mean, they actually win by two. They <laughs> score. They won the game. But that was what that, that won. It was absolutely. They Duke led for like one minute the entire game out of 45 minutes in game. You must have been going crazy with, on your phone. I screamed this. at the wedding. Yeah. And people looked. And it was really a point in the wedding that it was like not, not much was going on. And I screamed. And a, a number of tables looked at me. But I was sort of just, just pretending not to say what I was doing. <laughs> Who's Duke got uh, get next? Duke plays Florida State right now. So this is going to be a great game because Duke is hosting number eight Florida State. So this is going to – there are very few good teams. The, the, the ACC has like – 30,000 teams and only like three teams are going to the tournament. It's the worst year in the ACC's history is this year. But Duke is playing Florida State who's having a tremendous year. Florida State's never been seeded for the tournament, so we're excited really? about that. Never. Yeah, never, see, never been higher than a three seed. So they'll be okay. a two, they could be a two seed this year <laughs> for the tournament. Um, I know you want to talk a little bit uh, about Indiana, and we've got a special guest for this. Well, the father of the groom who was at the wedding is my cousin, Bruce. So Bruce uh, Miller went to IU at the glory years. And so I want, <laughs> Bruce, I want you to tell, I now I've admitted that I was at your son's wedding watching a basketball game on my phone. But anyway, tell me why it was so important that a 78-year-old gentleman walked on a court for an Indiana-Purdue game when Purdue is 14-10 and 10 and Indiana is 15-8. It had been 19 years, Ira. 19 years since Bob Knight was let go uh, by the heads of uh, Indiana University. It was a very turbulent period. And uh, Bobby Knight did not follow uh, the, the direction of the athletic director and president of the university, Miles Brand, and uh, he, was, uh, he was let go over an incident. And it's been 19 years since he, has, since he has stepped foot in Assembly Hall. So for Hoosier fans, uh, Indiana fans, college basketball fans who were around to see that 1976 undefeated national championship team, the last one in college basketball. It, it was, and I was at Indiana during those days. It was awesome to see him back on the court. Now, he did not look like he was in good health, but just to have his presence in Assembly Hall was fantastic. And what, was the, what, was the, what was so important about this game? Why did he decide to come back? Why did he choose this game? Well, it's a great question. I, I, I do not know. I didn't know he was coming back until the report started in the morning, and then Mark Cuban and Sage Steele were sitting side by side on the front row, um, and, and then the report started circulating that he would come back. Gene Cady is a very good friend of his who was also there. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was at the Ohio State-Indiana game in Bloomington, and the rumors started circulating he would come back, and uh, he did not come back. It was actually alumni a basketball player day at IU for all the uh, teams. And so, and, and Knight is most known, when he retired, he was the all-time winningest coach in college basketball. And you were there in 1976, is that correct? I was, I was absolutely there in 1976, the, you know, the last undefeated season. It, it, the, the campus went crazy. Keep in mind what happened in 1975. They were undefeated going into the tournament. Scott May broke his arm. And uh, and uh, they, they lost to Kentucky in the uh, in the Mideast Regional Tournament that year, and that was their only loss of the year. Mm-hmm. So coming back, the players all you know, Buckner, Benson, uh, Scott May, Abernathy, they all they all wanted to win that trophy for Coach, and uh, and they went undefeated. They were tough as nails. I mean, a lot, we've talked about a lot of teams that have been undefeated. I mean, the Larry Bird Indiana State mm-hmm. team was undefeated and lost in the finals to Michigan State. So it's happened since. But, uh, well, thank you for the insight, Bruce, about that. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you, Ira. And, and I'm, I'm shocked at your omission about what happened at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> His uh, son got married. That was what happened. Yeah, that wedding did go off. And the omission of you screaming at, oh, okay, uh, at the, yes. the phone. Uh, it's 7.15, Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. We'll have John Michael of the Cleveland Cavs here in just a minute. Ira, this is the most excited I've been for a college basketball season because it's so tumultuous. From day one, we had no clear-cut favorite, and it seems like every minute you look up and the rankings are changing. 
Michigan State was ranked number one to start the season. Preseason poll. Every preseason poll. They're not even ranked right now. They're out of the entire poll. Kentucky's been number one. Duke's been one. Louisville's won. Kansas won. Gonzaga won. Baylor won. It's a complete... I mean, if you look at the rankings, the schools like Gonzaga, San Diego State, Dayton, that's two, four, and six. Uh, Florida State uh, is now now eighth in the country, which is just a a super rating for them. And and then you have schools like Maryland that have been down for a while. They're back. Seton Hall's ranked number 10. Penn State. We're not talking Penn State basketball. Not Penn State football is number 13. <laughs> so it's just it's just going to be an exciting year. And, and there's I, I honestly think there's like 30 teams that could win the tournament. Like, I wouldn't be surprised because there's no really great teams. There's no Zion Williamsons. Mm-hmm. There's no Duke teams that look like they're superstars that are all over the place. And it's going to be a great, great tournament. It, it could be one of those years where the, um, you know, a John Morant and a Murray State goes on a run because there's just no powerhouse to have to get through. Like I said, I'm, I'm so excited for this year and I can't wait to uh, talk about it as the season unfolds. Any games you're looking for this week? Um, Florida State Duke is tonight is huge. And then uh, I would say well, Kansas there's, Kansas actually has two big games. They play at West Virginia. I think that'll be a really good game. And then West Virginia is at Baylor. So you're so you're going to see Kansas Baylor. Kansas and Baylor are, have been, people believe, the two top teams. Now Baylor beat Kansas earlier in the year. So we're going to see from the Big 12 in terms of those two, Kansas and Baylor, you know, they might meet in the Final Four. So Ira, typically baseball does not do a great job of keeping themselves in the news and the media in the offseason. Not like it this offseason. I mean, we've had scandals and we've had blockbuster trades. Let's talk about that first. Well, this trade has been talked about. You talk about something that's been, it's for like two, three weeks it's been yep. like mentioned, but it's it's rare that you have an MVP and a Cy Young being traded to a team and in, in one, it, it just, it never happens. And and it's shocking that the Red Sox decided to get capital. I'm almost throw the, just throw away, away the season. I mean, it, it seems that way to get, I mean, they Betts only had one year left at $27 million completely for someone who's going to sign a 10-year, $40 million contract. And they really didn't get prospects. I mean, they got uh, Alex Verdugo. Alex he Verdugo looks okay. And Jet Jeter Downs and Connor Wong. Not that great a thing. What they really got was salary cap release yeah. because David Price, the Dodgers got David Price uh, for two years, for $16 million a year they got to pay. But the Red Sox, you know, they put a cap in the Major League Baseball of 280. It's about $208 million. And people said, well, it's a soft cap. You can go over. It's not like football. But they, teams are really adhering to this because there's the extra penalties. They were over it last year, paid like a $12 million fine, but next year will be like 40 or 50. So they really wanted to go over under the cap and, and, and let bets go. They couldn't sign bets. They offered them some money. And the Dodgers, great move on their part because I think – I think not just the fact that bets and price are good, because I think price at 32 million is ridiculous, but 16 million is fine. He beat them in the World Series two years ago in games two and five, pitched yeah. beat Kershaw in games five. I mean, he's been a great pitcher for them in terms of big time games like that World Series and in the playoffs. And I think bets, I think it's going to actually wake up the Dodgers. Bets and price are going to have that fire because you have a lot of the Bellingers and the Seegers. And I just think people, it's like oh, Hotel California, relaxing. And I think they play with this fierceness. That they, that I think it's gonna help. I think it's a win-win for the Dodgers. Great move. I was waiting for them. I was criticizing them. They're not big. They didn't sign Cole. Didn't sign Rendon. Didn't make any moves. But this was a great move. You know, it's funny as a Yankee fan, you're thrilled to see Mookie Betts not you know, play out what could be an amazing 10-year career with your division rival, but he went to the team in the NL that's most likely to stop an, an AL contender. So it's like, it's a rock and a hard place. But I'm but telling all my Yankee fans, I think the whole American League has disarmed. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I think that, that I'm, I'm saying Yankees can win 120 games. I mean, they are, there's nobody that's competing against it. Now the uh, National League's great. National League is exciting. You have a lot of good teams. Dodgers are going to have competition, but the American League, there's nobody that's going to challenge NL Central is going to be a good division too on top of, yeah, they you said the NL is stacked. And whereas the ALs, they all seem to be starting to concede, like you said. And now I mean, the, the Houston's Indian, The Indians the... and the Red Sox, two of the teams that would have challenged the Yankees, are both just gave up all yeah. their players. No, it's going to be Tampa and Oakland probably <laughs> struggling it out with us. Um, before we get to uh, John Michael, that's just about one minute away. A.J. Hinch has been doing a lot of talking for someone who just lost his job. <laughs> well, this Astros, and we're here in West Palm, and people are like coming over to, to 15 Ballpark and want interviews. And if you really think the Astros, they go, we want them to apologize. We want them to say they're sorry. I don't think you're going to get that out of no. them. And uh, I think Dusty Baker, though, has been a great hire because he, he is going to be like, come to me. Don't come to my players. He's been around. You could not have brought in a young manager to handle this. And they're going to, and but I think they'll be able, I mean, they're going to, but the media 
is going to be on them, but I think Baker is going to be the great person to really stand up there and, and, to, and, to, and to deflect all the abuse that's going to come to them. Um, we do have John Michael on the line right now, play-by-play host for the Cleveland Cavaliers. John, thank you. Welcome back to Iron Sports. Hi, how are you guys doing? Doing great. Ira, what do you have? Well, John, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, I just want to start by asking, I mean, this is certainly the tragic passing of Kobe uh, a couple weeks ago, and I know you called a, a number of games that he played in. Uh, just give me your memories about Kobe and, and maybe some, some tidbits in terms of uh, some, you know, some, some just memories you had about his uh, watching him and, and, and calling his games. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, guys, this, is, this has been crushing. And, uh, I mean, not just not just to the NBA community, but, you know, globally, uh, to so many people who this guy affected. And it was, it was great to cover him. I mean, that's something that, you know, goes without saying. But, you know, to give you a personal story, the news hit when we had just gotten on the plane and we were headed out. You know, we were the, so the team was together, basically, when everybody heard about it uh, on a team plane as we were headed for a road trip. And it was... Uh, uh, obviously, it was an emotional time, and just to see how much not only this guy touched so many different people on that team, but then the outpouring of love and support over the next couple of days was was special. And uh, you know, it, it reminds you sometimes to remind people uh, how important they are when they're around. You know, because so many people have so many wonderful things to say about Kobe, uh, and really, it continues in the NBA. And we're going to see you know Kobe be honored at the. NBA All-Star festivities that are coming up uh, over the next week or so. But, uh, yeah, it's a, a terrible, tragic loss, not just for the basketball community, but, but for so many who were affected by this guy around the world. And then I, I noticed in the games after Kobe's passing, I mean, I, it's almost like a focus. The players were playing hard to honor him because that's how he played. And did you, did you get the sense that the Cavaliers and the, their opponents in those, you know, those couple games afterwards you know, had the sense of more focus during the games? It's interesting you said that the Cavs played one of their best games of the season right after that happened, you know, and played hard for 48 minutes. It's obviously been a struggling season for the Cavaliers, but, yeah, I, I do. Uh, and I think that, you know, think about that. Think about the, the effect that a, a player has on so many others when, after his passing, other people play hard. You know what I mean? Think about what that means and how hard and how serious he took his job and his trade and everything else. So, uh, yeah. That was a trend that I certainly noticed, and it was true uh, with our team, the Cavaliers. Now, to switch gears and talk about your current team, uh, you've got a star player in the league. I mean, Andre Drummond, uh, people might not know so much about him, but he's led the league in the last four or five years in rebounds. And he, and, and he used to be a terrible foul shooter, but he's actually shooting about 60% right now. And it was weird when it, everyone thought he was going to be traded, but to the Cavaliers, that came out of nowhere. Talk about why the Cavs made that trade and why they didn't trade Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson. Somewhat surprising that maybe the most decorated player who was moved at the trade deadline, came to one of the teams to the bottom of the conference uh, in the East. But I don't, th- I don't think this is a question for the Cavs. I mean, both teams had their reasons. I mean, you know what Detroit's trying to do. They're trying to make a clean break. Uh, they're trying to – they're hitting the reset button. There's no question about it for the Pistons. So they wanted to trade for guys on expiring contracts. The Cavaliers happen to have a couple of those players in John Henson and Brandon Knight. Uh, that was the trade plus a second-round pick thrown in as well. So I think for the Cavs, look – it's 30 games here to see if this works. You know, I'm sure that Kobe Allman, the Cavs GM, tested the market and, you know, got plenty of offers for Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. But if those offers didn't make sense, you know, the Cavs aren't going to pull the trigger just to make a trade. So now the question is, is there a fit? You know, Kevin Love's still signed for the, in the next couple of years by the Cavs. Tristan Thompson's contract is expiring. Andre Drummond has a player option for next season right around $28 million. So it's Maybe it's a tryout for both, you know, for both the Cavs organization and for Andre to see if this fit works. I think on paper, it's a big win for the Cavaliers. You know, I think they're excited to have this guy around. Cavs haven't had a, you know, a presence in the paint like that who plays like Andre since Brad Doherty. I mean, we're talking decades ago, guys. So I think this is something that the organization is excited about. Obviously, the debut last night was, was pretty good for Drummond, but the outcome wasn't one to write home about as the Cavs were run off the floor by the Clippers. But, you know, I think 
like I said, both sides are excited to see what this is like over the last couple of months of the season. But you know what's interesting is in the NBA now with Clinton Capella being traded to the Hawks, so many teams are going to just uh, small ball. You see the Rockets are trying to have a team of 6-7 and under, and now actually the Cavs with Drummond and Tristan Thompson, they're, they're, you know, they're still going back to the root of having those big-time traditional centers. That's right. And, you know, that said now, I mean, the Cavs had Kevin Love at 6-10, Tristan Thompson at 6-9, but neither one of those guys is really a traditional back-to-the-basket center. Like I said, I, Drummond provides a new dynamic, not only on the offensive end, but on the defensive end as well. So I think, it's, you know, you look at Detroit, I think maybe they're in a situation where they said, hey, we tried the traditional route, didn't work for us, we're going to try to shoot more threes. Dwayne Casey has said that that's what he wants to do. You know, and yeah, maybe it's a trend around the NBA. Now that said, I think what the Rockets are doing is interesting is that a sustainable and you know, a long-term solution that's going to work in this league? I, I find that hard to believe, but we're going to find out. I mean, you run into the the Lakers, you run into the Clippers, and your you know tallest starter six six or six seven. You might have a problem with bigger players who can exploit mismatches. So we'll see if that's a strategy that that pays off, if it's sustainable in the NBA. But you're right. I mean, that's a trend where uh, you know we've seen that over the last couple of seasons in the NBA. Um, you have a young core of players, Colin Sexton out of uh, Alabama, Garland from Vanderbilt, and Porter from USC. How, how are those young core, how's that developing? I mean, are they, like the Knicks had a young core, but they're really not developing well. But how do you, you know, you're watching the Cavs on a day-to-day basis. Are these guys that could be the basis of, of a resurgence for the Cavaliers? Well, the organization's hoping so. You know, and the Cavaliers last season drafted Colin Sexton eight overall. Cavs got Darius Garland at five overall. Uh, this past summer and then traded back into the first round to get Kevin Porter at 30. Porter has shown flashes of brilliance. I mean, and the guy's only 19 years of age. Really, when you talk about these three players, we're talking about three guys under the age of 21. So I think that the learning curve has been there. We're seeing these guys incrementally get better. I think it's, I mean, I think they're in a difficult spot. You know, you have the veterans who have been around, as we talked about in that front court, the young back court trying to learn on the fly a new head coach, a new coaching staff, John Beeline, and first season in the NBA. So I think right now there are a lot of moving pieces for this team. However, I do feel the hope is for the organization that these young guys develop into pieces moving forward that can be part of this team's core when they start getting the wins, start climbing in the standings, and get back to where this organization wants it to be. So we're talking to John Michael, the play-by-play announcer for the Cleveland Cavaliers. You're listening to Iron Sports on 95.9, 106.9, the true oldies. Um, the Dwayne, you're coming here February 22nd. The Cavaliers are coming to the Heat, and it'll be Dwayne Wade's retirement ceremony, which is shaping up to be a humongous game here in South Florida. Uh, give us some of your memories about Dwayne in terms of, you know, he played for the Cavaliers for half a season a little bit, so you got a little taste of him there at the, at the end of his career. But, but when, it, when he was at the Heat and they had certainly the Wade and LeBron and Bosch, uh, talk about, about watching Dwayne Wade do his miraculous uh, game. Well, that was the start of the super teams, right? And, I mean, that was <laughs> to the Cavaliers' chagrin when somebody took a salam down there to South Beach. So, uh, you know, we've watched Dwayne Wade closely. And you were to talk about something being surreal, Dwayne Wade in the Cavalier uniform. Boy, was that odd, you know, to see for a half of a season. Played well for the Cavs, you know, and the Cavs that season. That was LeBron's final season here the second time around. The Cavs went to the NBA Finals for the fourth consecutive time. The Cavs basically blew it up at the trade deadline. Six players went out, four players went in trying to, you know, hit reset in February and see if they could make a run. They did make it back to the finals, but ultimately uh, it wasn't enough against the Warriors. Uh, But Dwayne was great. And just to see his interaction with LeBron on a day-to-day basis here in Cleveland uh, was something special to watch. Again, here's a, you know, a sure bona fide Hall of Famer, a guy who's just been a pleasure to watch in the NBA, regardless of what uniform he's wearing. Personally, I'm happy he went back to Miami. You know, the Chicago couple of seasons was what it was, but he went back where he belonged. He retired where he belonged, and I'm thrilled that we get to be a part of that ceremony and to see his uh, his name and his number get raised to the Raptors. Do you think I was last year for the Chris Bosh retirement, and, and the ceremony lasts longer? It's like normal half times. I think it added uh, 15 minutes. I think it added another 10 minutes to the to the to the halftime. Do you think the team? Do you think Beeline is going to bring the team back out and and have some of the players just watch? You know, take them to the huddle, take them to the locker room, and then bring them out and just watch the ceremony a little bit. 
hard to say. I would say if the Cavs had a, had a veteran team that they had during the four runs of the finals, yes. I'm saying now <laughs> the Cavs, Cavs need to work on some things internally. Probably <laughs> a couple extra minutes in that locker room wouldn't hurt. So I, hard to say. But, uh, you know, John Beeline, despite the fact that he spent the last 40-plus seasons in the college ranks, he does have a, a keen appreciation for the NBA. Uh, I'm sure he recognizes what this is all about. We'll see. We'll see how the first half goes, I guess, and determining whether or not that's going to happen. And one last question, John, is I was wondering, you, you, I mean, look, you're calling every game, you're watching games almost every night. What player do you think this year, in terms of, you know, they give out the most improved player, but is there a player out there that you said, you saw him play last year and you're like, I can't believe he's in the league, and you look at him this year and he's just amazing. Like someone, my listeners could say, wow, I heard about this player, and he's just, because you, you, know, you see this improvement because these players are coming in so young when they're 19 years old, and then they're making big steps. And is there a player out there that you're like, wow, he has really improved from one year to the next? Yeah, we saw a couple. I tell you what, I mean, Pascal Siakam won most improved player last season, and there was talk before he got hurt a couple of weeks ago that he might win it again, <laughs> and I might vote for him again. I mean, he's been that good. And How about what Toronto's doing? I mean, everybody thought, you know, hey, Kawhi's gone, they're fixing the fall, and here they are, winners of 14 in a row right now in the East, right behind the Milwaukee Bucks, who are playing at an incredible pace right now. But Siakam, that whole crew's been good, credit to Nick Nurse. I like what Brandon Ingram's done in New Orleans. I like what Zach Levine's done in Chicago. You know, guys taking big jumps uh, that maybe weren't expected to make those big jumps. I mean, you think about Zach Levine, all people said, wow, this guy's a great dunker. What an athlete in Minnesota. He then tears his knee up, and you think, oh, you know, all that athleticism might be gone, you know, or he's going to be a step slower. Now he goes from just an athlete to to a scorer and a bonafide scorer in the NBA, how about Brandon Ingram? I mean, nobody expected, everybody expected to be the Zion show down in New Orleans, and suddenly he steps it up and is playing some incredible basketball at a high level. So, hey, you look around, there's so many good things going on right now in the NBA. I mean, what Damian Lillard has done has been incredible over the last couple of weeks for a team that's right now on the outside looking in in the Western Conference. So, you know, any night you turn on the, the TV, I mean, Bogdanovich had a great game winner for Utah in a big game uh, as they came from behind and won um, in that contest last night. Every night you turn on the NBA on League Pass, you see something special. And I think that's what makes this game so beautiful and why I'm, I feel so privileged to be a part of it. <laughs> and and one last question about the Heat. I mean, Pat Riley is the genius of all geniuses. He moved uh, contracts that people said were unmovable, and he got Andre Godala, and, and it's actually set himself with great cap room for next year. I mean, it was a magician in terms of, I mean, he's certainly a legend beyond legends, but this is probably one of his greatest moves. Well, yeah, and again, you know, I, I'm in the league, and I don't want to, you know, disparage other organizations. But when I saw the trade with Memphis, I, I kept looking and waiting for, for more. I assumed that, that there was more happening. I, I said, there's no way Miami's going to get what they did for the contracts that basically they got rid of a couple of contracts that they sort of wanted to, to send out the door, uh, along with Justice Winslow. So, man, what a, what a deal. I mean, the, the acquisition of Jimmy Butler is one that puts them in the running in that Eastern Conference. You make this extra addition, and all of a sudden, it's not just a team that can be dangerous in the playoffs. It's a team that might be able to go the whole way in the Eastern Conference. So I, I agree with you. The moves at the deadline were spectacular. To me, that is the Miami Heat are the winners of the trade deadline, hands down. I mean, people around here like what the Cavaliers did. Andre Drummond, we'll see what happens over the next, you know, like I said, 30 games. And he's the biggest name, I guess, that was moved. Maybe the most decorated, I guess you could say. Although Andre Iguodala is somebody who's been there, somebody who knows how to win and win at a high level, uh, and I think Miami, to me, now that I'm just you know, pumping the team's tires because I'm on your show right now, I think they're the winners of the trade deadline, and I really like what they did moving into the unofficial second half. Well, John, thanks a lot for coming on. I love your insight, and, and have a good time coming down for you know, Dwayne Wade's retirement, not retirement game, but the Jersey retiring game, uh, and it should be exciting, an exciting moment here in, in South Beach. Uh, can't wait for that game. 
Nice to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Take care. It's 734. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about a minute or two till we get to uh, Ken Kennerly, president of the Honda Classic. I want to stick with NBA, touch a little football here before we get into this. What are you thinking, I? Let's just let's do NBA. We'll get to football. We're going to talk. Philip Rivers retired. Uh, not retired. Philip Rivers and the Chargers parted out. ways. Yeah. Uh, parted ways. We're going to go over the quarterbacks. It's going to be great, but we that doesn't happen until mid-March. And the XFL, we'll maybe talk. We'll have another week of XFL to talk mm-hmm. about. So let's just talk a little more about the Heat for a second. Uh, look, I think I, I said last week that it's, it's always amazing how quickly Pat Riley turned everything around, and then you know within a, a two three days of that, he completely flips the team again. Kind of, it's, it's amazing the wizardry he pulls off here in Miami. Well, I, from Memphis' perspective, if they get Justice, if Justice Winslow plays like how he should have played, we thought mm-hmm. he was going to play here. Then, and he's a young player. If they can turn around, he needed yeah. a new. And, and Memphis has a good young core that might work out for them. But James Johnson was owed sixteen million next year. Justice Winslow thirteen, and Deion Waiters twelve million. Uh, Johnson and Winslow and Waiters are probably going to be waived. I mean, Winslow's the one that everybody wanted. And if you look at the Heat's. Uh, Payroll for next year. They really pay Butler thirty-four million, Linux thirteen, and then their star players are Tyler Hero three point eight million, Bam Adebayo five, Kendrick Nunn one point six million, and Duncan Roberts one point six million. And then you bring in Andre Godala, that veteran presence who plays hard like Jimmy Butler has. This is a team that you know they might they might they're in the mix to uh, to to win to go to win the East. Ira, you spoke about how Houston just seems to be trying something different here, and they dealt their big rim protector in Clint Capella. Well, they're trying to play with. They brought in Robert Cunningham, who's Covington, who's six seven. So they are really playing entire games, and this is the first time in thirty years it's been like this, with just six, the six seven and under. Mm-hmm. I mean, there used to be a league. We had Bob Patton on coach. I think the league was like six four or six five and under. So this team could enter, and, and the idea is we don't need big men. We're just gonna because they felt the big men. You listen to what D'Antoni was saying. The big men are just clogging the area. We're just gonna shoot threes. Also, we're gonna do all day long. And then you saw that they kind of play the Lakers, and they beat the Lakers. The Lakers had yeah. Anthony Davis, like the Lakers entire starting lineup that at one point was taller than everybody else on the Rockets and they still were winning but look they committed to go, to Westbrook and Harden they each pay each are making 41 44 and 47 over the next 30, three years this is what they're going for so they're trying it and it's a mad experiment but at least it's exciting to watch we did see um, the Knicks make a move here and I don't know what we're going to end up seeing from this Marcus Morris deal the Knicks are I, I think the biggest move is they would bring on Leon Rose uh, the, the agent from CAA to try yeah. to run their operations uh, trading Marcus Morris was just, I mean, they have just been, uh, Marcus Morris is averaging 20 points a game. It's going to help the Clippers. So that was the move. People were waiting for the Lakers to make a move. The Clippers make the move. But the Knicks just cannot get anything done. Right? <laughs> no, it just never happens. And, they, of course, they fire their president 48 hours before the deadline yes. in true true Knicks fashion. Well, supposedly the, the president and the GM were fighting over what to do about Morris, and yeah. that was what thing precipitated the firing. <laughs> Steve Mills, see you later. But before we get to Ken Kennerly, Warriors make a big trade here, and I think this one might work out for both sides. I love this trade because yeah. D'Angelo Russell has been, he's only like 20, I think 22. He's having a career year. Yeah. gets better every year. 23 points a game. Last year, he was 21. He's been around every year with the Lakers, then he was the Nets, and then, and then now he's the Warriors, and now the Timberwolves. We've got his fourth team, but he's averaging 23 points, seven assists, and he gets along with Carl Anthony Towns. You're in Minnesota. You've invested so much in, in Kat, KAT. I mean, he's their star player, and put him with a point guard that fits, and Wiggins just didn't work out with them. They traded for on. Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins, and now he's going to go and play the Harrison Barnes type role, Golden State, when when next year when Curry and Thompson come back. So I think it's a win-win for both teams. Again, everyone's trying to look for winners on trades. I think this one was a perfect trade for both teams. Um, let's talk to Ken Kennerly from the Honda Classic. He's an awesome guy. You're going to want to hear uh, what he has to say. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. You're listening to Ira on Sports, and with us is a very special guest. He's Ken Kennerly of the Honda Classic. Ken, we've been working with you guys in the Honda Classic for about a decade now, and I got to tell you, one, I'm super excited that my favorite event in South Florida is basically back, and two, I just never I never cease to amaze how you guys pull out all the stops every year and just keep growing and getting better. So, Ken, thank you so much for uh, coming out today. Oh, well, Mike, it's great to be here. You're right. We've had a, a wonderful past and uh, just keeps getting better and uh, like the Honda Classic just keeps getting better and you guys have been tremendous support for us over the years and it's just an honor for me to be on on the show with you guys today. Ira, what do you have for Ken? So Ken, you took over the tournament in 2006. Um, 86,000 people came to your first tournament. It's now up to 224,000 two years ago. I mean, what that type of growth that you were able, did you, could you envision that? I mean, you're, you're a visionary, but that was amazing to have a growth like that. 
Well, you know, so the, the 06 was the, the last event under the previous management, uh, so they had about 40,000 people. So in 07, our event, our first year, we had the 85,000. Um, it's, you know, we knew that to change it up, well, we'd do a couple things. One, we had to make sure Honda uh, was motivated to continue their sponsorship. So we had to present to them, show them a bunch of different marketing ideas and plans. And, and really, uh, from the beginning, it was about taking this event, which, you know, has always been a, a very good golf tournament. But th we got to think out of the box. You know, we're in the entertainment space. And, you know, one of the first things I employed way back when uh, was we, I looked at Major League Baseball, I looked at what the NBA has done, I look at, you know, the NHL in a way. And when you go to those games, it's more than just the game, right? I mean, it's a great family environment. Uh, they've got a lot of things outside the, the ropes, the rink, the court uh, for fans to do. They've got, you know, wonderful restaurants. They've got themed events going on. Again, it's, it's, it's a place where, you know, everyone wants to go. Kids want to go, the adults want to go. And, you know, the action itself is the main attraction, but it's, I think, what you do around that main attraction, which is really going to be the differentiator. And that's really where the Honda Classic, you know, really started going. We moved to PGA National. We knew we had this iconic bear trap that Jack Nicholas put in there when he redesigned the course many, many years ago. And, you know, it was about let's create energy. Let's create energy outside the ropes. Let's create reasons for this great community that we live in to come out and, and get together. You know, it, it, it's an event. It is an event, capital event. And it's an event where people want to gather and they want to network and they want to see their friends. And, you know, it's just a number of different things. So it's it's taken a little bit of time uh, since 07, but it's it's come together nicely, and, I, and I'm extremely proud of the way this community has really rallied around the growth of the Honda Classic. And again, you know, a couple things just to mention. You know, we had, I always say, the recipe was there. It's just you needed a chef to put it all together. And we have some of the best pillars. Uh, American Honda, the longest-running sponsor on the PGA Tour. You have PGA National, a tremendous host that has iconic tournaments like the Ryder Cup and PGA Championship in the past in the 80s, and, of course, a dozen senior PGA Championships. Palm Beach Gardens, one of the greatest cities in America. Uh, Palm Beach County, one of the greatest counties in America. Let's not forget about the Nicholas family, Jack and Barbara. And we, we brought them in close um, right away. Barbara is our co-chair with her son, Gary. Jack is very much involved as well. As you know, his other, there are other tournaments, the Memorial. So, you know, pretty good bookends there from our perspective. But it's about just, just taking the assets that we have in our community, putting them all together, and creating something different. And that's really what we've done. And it's, again, I, let's go back to what I said earlier. We're in the entertainment space. Well, it's amazing. When people talk about the attendance, because I know the numbers are, things are thrown. I don't think people realize that the Honda Classic has more has almost as many people. If you added up all the spring training baseball, it's like a quarter of a million for the two stadiums with four teams. And you in four days or five days really are able to almost match that number, which is just shocking. I mean, look, they're going to have the Daytona 500 next week. You're going to have double what they, they have for the Daytona 500. It's, it's just, it's remarkable. And I think the one thing about the Honda Classic is that people say you can't be all things to everyone or everything to all things or however that term is but you really can't like you can have places for kids to enjoy themselves there if you're a 25 year old and you want to come with a bunch of your friends and just have a good time and drink and everything you can do that too if you're a serious follower of the golf and want to follow these golfers at every single hole you can do that too it's just it's amazing how you have created this tournament that everyone can enjoy well i have two kids and you know those those you know, uh, and your listeners that have children too, you, you want to create an environment where your kids want to go. So, of course, we, we hone in quickly on the families. 15 and under get in free with, with, uh, uh, with a parent. It's, it's about, like you said, I mean, we've got to create all things for everybody, and, and we've been able to do that. But we do it with great partners. Tire Kingdom is our family day partner. They're our fireworks partner. I mean, you know, again, the golf ends at 6 o'clock, 6.30, but our parties continue on. So, again, it's about the families. It's about the fireworks. Then it's about creating the bear trap and the environment around the bear trap. We have 18 structures designed specifically for the public. It's a best practice on the PGA Tour. People think, in a way... You know, we spend money to make sure that when the public comes in the gates that they've got a comfortable place to sit so they don't always have to upgrade. We also have enormous upgrade opportunities, too. So in a way, we compete with ourselves. So people that say to me, they might be in a chalet on 18 or a sky suite on 18 or 17, and they're spending a lot of money, they all have access to get into the bear trap. So the bear trap, yes, it's a higher-end credential than a grounds ticket, but I'm competing directly with my hospitality patrons. And I'll have people that'll tell me, Ken, I bought a chalet for, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars 
And I spend my whole time in the bear trap. I don't even know why I buy my chalet. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 let's not go there. Come on, we need you to buy the chalet. But my point there is we, we do compete with ourselves, but we figure it's the right way to do to be able to offer people at all levels um, you know, an opportunity to enjoy golf comfortably so you're not just standing behind ropes. Again, let's talk about FPL Patio, a great partner. Some of, you talk about baseball. These seats are right on the 17th green. You feel like you're on the first or third baseline when you're at, you know, uh, the Chevrolet Roger Dean or the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Um, you know, Garden of Life, open to the public. Our new partner this year, Corona, open to the public. Uh, Tito's, open to the public. I mean, these are structures that are sponsored. I can't put them out there without sponsorship. I need sponsors. And the sponsors are part of the strategy to help me deliver, you know, the, um, the, um, the opportunities for our fans out there. And I go to five or six golf tournaments a year, and I mean the majors and everything. There's nothing you, people don't realize the Honda is so much different. Like I'm going to go to the Genesis next week, and there are no structures to walk around. You have to stand around. There is like at the 18th green, there is this massive where people have to pay a zillion dollars to be in it. But besides that, you're just walking around the course. There's nowhere to sit unless you bring your own chairs. But this is actually you have comfortable seats. You don't have to carry your chairs around. You have good views, good sight angles. It's just it's just tremendous. And talk about in terms of you're saying I saw last year, the last couple of years you've really improved this so someone who's not in terms of like 75 80 years old or someone just hurt their foot doesn't want to walk so much you have uh um, shuttles shuttles to take you out to all the the hoods well it's important so we have a great partner in united technologies they sponsor our patriots outpost our military uh pavilion you know we had 14 plus thousand people out there last year vets in for free courtesy of united technologies and we have some pillar partners along with that 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 help pay for the uh the structures but we have partners. Um, you know, Lily Pulitzer this year is going to be our shuttle partner. So there will have drivers. And, you know, people obviously noticeably that need some help getting down to 17, even though it's, you know, it's 600 yards. Uh, so it's not a huge distance, but it is for somebody that, you know, needs some help. So, you know, we, we want to take care of the fan. We want to do everything we can to um, give them a great experience. And when we look back on the strategy employed back in literally, as, as you said, 06 was when we started planning for our first year event in 07. So 06 finished at Marisol. We moved it across the street to PJ National. It was about the fan. It was about doing everything we can to attract people to PJ National for the tournament. We knew if, if you know, we had the Oscars, uh, you know, last night. So, you know, movies are successful as the people and the actors and actresses. A lot of golf tournaments, a lot of sports teams, and you go to a lot of sporting events, are as successful as the celebrity, the big names that they have, you know, LeBron James, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, In golf, it's very much the same way, but we had to build a business model that could be successful and could thrive, I don't want to say regardless of who's in the field, but create an environment for people to come out almost regardless of who's in the field. You know, obviously everyone's asking us about Tiger Woods and we still don't know yet about Tiger, this, that, I mean, he's a game changer. I mean, he, he is the needle, right? But for the most part, people come out to the Honda. Our enthusiasm in our market hasn't been higher. Uh, we're selling literally right down to the wire. People are are buying up, um, you know, remnants of hospitality. Obviously, the Bear Trap will probably sell out once again on Friday and Saturday, so people should get those tickets. We've got New Legends Club. We've got, you know, a lot of things really going on. So it's 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 all it's all really really good. And uh, again, it's to thank this great community for embracing what we're doing. But we're creating a reason for people to come out. And when people leave, and I take a lot of note of it, I, I go by the exits quite a bit. The big bus lines that are formal. We don't have many lines. We have a lot of buses, thankfully. <laughs> the lines are terrible. You don't want lines. Um, but we move people quickly and very efficiently. But I see people's smiles on their faces. I, I hear people telling other people how great it was. I hear people that go tell me, and this, this, is, you know, this is throughout the year. I went to the Honda Classic because my neighbor was on me for the past three years and insisted I go. And I went, and I had the greatest time, and I'm always going. I hear that constantly. And that's not because those those persons, those people, men and women, like or dislike golf. They they weren't, if they were golfers, they would have come out five years ago. These are people that were persuaded by their friends to come out to the tournament because it was fun. And fun is contagious. Energy is contagious. I say it all the time. Enthusiasm is contagious. You know, if you want to have fun, hang around with people that are also having fun. <laughs> if you don't want to have fun, you know, then just hang around with those uh, that, that don't care to, to enjoy it. 
Well, we have the local players that have developed in this area, the, the Brooks Kepkas and Daniel Burgers. I mean, we have all the players that have moved into the area. I mean, the Tigers that are new. But what I this tournament is different than a lot of other tournaments is so many kids are there. And I think yeah. that's great to see a 10-year-old kid out there looking and, and just watching in the practice. It's just getting people excited about the game. I mean, I would love to hear, like, someone win, wins this tournament in, I don't know, seven, five, seven or eight years and say, you know, I got motivated to play golf because I went to the Honda Classic, because yeah. everything was there. I'm going to talk about, I know you have the autograph zones and, and just the ability for kids to get closer to the action. Talk about what you do for kids and why it's such a great thing to bring your kids out to this tournament. Well, for, first of all, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 15 and under, you're in for free. Um, you know, a family of four, if they were to go to the movies and after they get done with popcorn and licorice and everything else, I mean, you're at 100 bucks, if not more. Um, you know, the Honda Classic, a family of four, two parents and two kids can come in, um, you know, have a, eight hours of entertainment, if not more, with the fireworks at night. And, you know, you're, you're, it's not going to break the bank. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, as a parent, my kids are older now, but as a, as a parent, you're going to do with what, with what your kids want to do. I mean, you know, the days of dragging little Johnny and little Emily out to a golf tournament screaming and yelling, you know, we don't have that anymore. We've got to make it um, comfortable for little Johnny and Emily to come out to the tournament. And so our kids, you know, it starts with, you know, the admission uh, is, is, um, is obviously free for 15 and under. You mentioned the autograph zone. The autograph zone has been phenomenal. No adults are in there. It's just for kids. We, we you know, have security there because it is about kids. Um, our standard bearer program, I employed this back in 07. I got my hand slapped by the PGA Tour. But our standard bearer program, those are the people inside the ropes holding the sign and, you know, the, the, right. the standard. And uh, it's normally a one-person job. You know, Ira, you and I would do it. You put the numbers around your waist and you walk down the fairway and, you you, you know, you keep up with the score of the, uh, of the group that you're in. But I, I wanted to make it more of a, a parent-child experience and a kid experience. So we have a policy, which we employed in 07. So if you're 13 or younger, you have to walk with an adult. If you're older than 13, you can walk with another buddy. So we have groups with two 16-year-olds going down the fairway together. You know, one's the apron around his waist or her waist with the numbers and the other one holding the standard. Then after nine holes, they're going to switch it up. It's a wonderful way to get kids inside the ropes on the sideline because at the end of the day, we're also trying to help grow this great game of golf and we're trying to get more people engaged. To your point, look at uh, Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger. You know, Daniel played great in Pebble Beach. You know, he played, he, he's been playing well again after his wrist injury, which is great. He and, and Brooks are two homegrown kids. They grew up playing junior golf. They played in our junior Honda Classics a long time ago. And, you know, um, you know it, it, it's all about, you know, bringing up these young kids. And if I can help open eyes of these young people, boys and girls, by giving them a sideline experience, like people have at basketball and football, and give, you know, kid, we have 144 players, so we have – you know, um, what, 50, 50 groups going out Thursday and Friday. So I've got, in theory, the ability to put out 100 young people inside the ropes on Thursday and Friday, um, and then, you know, on the weekends after the cut as well, and they play twosome. So it, it's just another nice way for us to have a touch point. We have face painting. We have the Tire Kingdom Family Day. We have the fireworks. Uh, Nicholas Children's Hospital this year has got a, a, a brand-new uh, structure out on AT&T designed for the families. We have... Um, you know, just so many comfortable things for, uh, for, for the families. Talk about the Pro-Am a little bit. I, I love that day on Wednesday. I tell everybody you got to go. I mean, I was there when you had Roger Clemens and Ben Rotzenberger, and they, were, they went back out to 17, and they were, like, throwing hundreds down trying to see who was closer yeah. to the pin. So I love because you can take pictures. They're, they're, they're much more relaxed. They sign autographs, everything like that. I mean, I really like the Pro-Am. And I, and I remember one time a kid was out there. I don't know. He's, like, seven or eight, and he was six or seven. He was looking at Rory McIlroy. Roy's golf clubs and Rory goes oh you like these clubs actually took his putter out and was like he gave, he gave him like a five minute putting lesson from Rory McIlroy right on like the second green so yeah. but talk about the pro-am and, and how that works I mean you can see some celebrities but also just get closer to the golfers and it's much more relaxed to see well it, it's you know Tuesday and Wednesday are great days because the guys are a little bit more relaxed uh, they're going to sign autographs it's, they wear shorts too now they, yeah, that's right <laughs> they wear shorts now absolutely um it, it, it is fun. And uh, to your point, I mean, the players are going to give the people more time, um, you know, when they're going from uh, green to tea. And, uh, you know, those stories like Rory, phenomenal. I mean, another one is Sergio Garcia sent out a tweet two or three years ago and from him saying he's never been to a golf tournament, seen so many kids in his life. And he's a global player obviously from Spain, he's played around the world. You know, so we hear that and we love it because again, 
if the kids are having a great time, the parents are going to come. If the parents are going to come, they're going to spend money, they're going to enjoy themselves, and eventually, hopefully, their companies will become sponsors as well. So it's, it's all working. And then back to the names. I mean, I mean, some people say, you know, like, what, what names? They always ask me, like, who's going to be in this tournament? And if you look at who you've had in the past, I mean, Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepa were one stroke off last year right. in the final round. The uh, year before, Justin Thomas wins in a playoff. The year before that, Ricky Fowler beat Gary Woodland, who just won the U.S. Open. Adam Scott beat Sergio Garcia the year before. I mean, this is like McElroy lost a playoff two years before that, and he won, he beat, two, in 2012, beat Tiger by two strokes. I mean, you've really had the big names there at the final, on the final rounds, and that's what I think makes the tournament so exciting. Well, I think it's a credit to the golf course, too. I mean, it's, it's a championship-caliber golf course. You know, we hear that term quite a bit. But it really is. It's not unfair. Everything is right there in front of you. It just plays hard. Um, the rough this year is going to be about two inches. It was two and a half inches last year. So the PJ Tour is looking to keep some of the, you know, they, they like birdies, right? I mean, the t- television <laughs> likes birdies. The tour likes birdies, whereas the USGA likes bogeys. doesn't like bogeys. I shouldn't have said that. But, um, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, from our perspective, the the. The, the better players in the field tend to rise to the top at PJ National because it is as much of a championship caliber venue as a U.S. Open, as a PGA Championship, as other very difficult storied courses um, you know, around the country. And you know what I like about the tournament is that you, know, you go to these other tournaments and they have water, and the water is just sort of decorative. <laughs> I think that's not really in play. And how many holes do you have where the water is really in play in this? I mean, it is. And it's it's so even though someone's back two, three strokes, I mean, you can see these massive swings uh, of uh, position just in in a couple holes, you know, 16, 17. I mean, the bear trap is legendary for many reasons, but it's also legendary because it captures um, more golf balls, I think, in a a stretch of three holes than any three holes on the PGA Tour. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of that also has to do with the wind. I mean, we, we live in South Florida and, you know, golf down here is different when it's blowing 20 to 30 as it is when it's not blowing um you know courses play a lot easier when there's no wind um you know good or bad we have the prevailing winds in the winter time in the late february early march and and it's always going to be a bear so to speak and uh but again it's all right there in front of you it's not unfair our rough is not unfair the greens are in perfect shape we redid them last uh, before last year so last year was the first year of the new greens uh jack's come out here as he does every year after the the tournament looks at the uh the shot link and looks at where these guys are hitting balls so we've moved bunkers we've done a bunch of different things to you know keep up with the game and also make the golf course as competitive but fair as possible and we we hear that term hard but fair quite a bit we hear it from a lot of guys you know i'll never forget i think it was rocco mediate several years ago he was i'm looking up at him he's like it's not the golf course's fault it's just you know he's plus eight or something he just said you know this is a hard golf course but it's a fair golf course ian poulter said the same thing a lot of guys very complimentary of the golf course yeah and and you look at the players who are playing i know your commitments from kepka and gary woodland and shane lowry who just won the british open i mean major winner zach johnson uh, tommy fleetwood is 11th in world justin rose i mean these big names i mean it's hard i mean people say well where why isn't every single top 20 player in and i don't think people realize that besides you have the four majors you have the three world golf four world golf championships you have the playoffs and uh the and, the, and, and the players and right. now tigers and now sweet. tigers yeah. it's and the golfers don't play 30 tournaments i mean they no. make enough from a few they don't need to play 30 like right. they used to it's hard to get i mean you go to most of these golf tours besides those this field is it could it stacks up to all the other tournaments except you know it's just difficult because you're you know trying you're fit into a difficult time in the schedule well i think you know everyone when the players got moved back into march is kind of when the schedule started changing a little bit right i mean these guys are playing as you mentioned tigers event this week in la which is now 112 20 man field same field as memorial same field as the arnold palmer uh, then they go into Mexico, a WGC, a World Golf Championship. It's also an Olympic year. So, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of the Americans, well, anybody really, you know, they want to they get the nod. I mean, you know, when I'm talking to, to Ricky and, you know, who's down a little ways, his goal is to get back up, not only on the FedEx Cup, but also to, uh, to earn a spot back in the Olympics. He said that was one of his greatest accomplishments in his career. You know, Justin Rose, the gold medal winner, he wants to, you know, he'll play for England, of course. Um, but, you know, you guys like Justin Thomas and Tiger Woods, I'll bet you Tiger Woods right now is gonna he's gunning not only to continue to play well but he wants to be on that Olympic team I mean he's not going to have another chance let's be realistic I mean it's you know it's an opportunity I think for Tiger to to 
have an opportunity to go represent America in the Olympic Games. So, you know, we've got a lot of things going on in golf right now with the players coming back, the World Golf Championships on the other side of the players. We're, we're in the middle, right? So it goes Mexico, Honda, Bay Hill, players, Valspar, which is a great tournament over in, on the west coast of Florida, then to match play, another WGC, and then two weeks later, the Masters. So there's a lot going on. I'll tell you, the players that I talked to, and we know them, you know, quite well, and the guys, you know, they they would say, look, if we could play your tournament every week, we would. We love PJ National. We love the Honda Classic. But they can't, to your point, they can't play 30 events a year. They can't play six tournaments in a year, uh, in a row. I mean, I think what's really fascinating is Phil Mickelson is now going to be playing his fifth tournament in a row in Los Angeles. Wow. And if he qualifies from Mexico, it'll be six tournaments <laughs> in a row. His manager, Steve Loy, told me last week he's never played more than four in a row. Here he is at his age, 49, playing five in a row, and he's playing well now, right? Well, we saw him played great last week and then great in Saudi Arabia. Um, in Saudi Arabia, by the way. It wasn't like down the street in San Diego. I mean, it's Saudi Arabia. It, it's amazing um, what these guys are doing, but they just can't, they can't keep it up. The, you know, it, it's, as a top player, it's very, very difficult to play many, many events in a row. And look, Tiger's publicly said he's playing two in a row, and that's, that's what he's doing. And he stuck with that last year, and he's probably going to do the same this year. Do you see a schedule change in the future? Uh, is that a possibility? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think you know, everyone's looking at it. But you know, I think the, the, the givens right now are the players is where it is and the Mexico is where it is for the near future. And, you know, we'll have to see. Um, but to your point, we have 40 tour pros that live down here in South Florida. We, we get very fortunate with, you know, with Ricky and Justin and, you know, Keegan and some of the other local guys that have played. Rory used to play us every year. You know, he hasn't played us um, two years now because he, he schedule changed and his schedule changed. And he went one Bay Hill. And, you know, he's playing L.A., Mexico. And he's, you know, he's not going to play us. Um, and he'll play at Bay Hill and players again. He won players last year, so the schedule worked pretty good for him. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you can only do so much. But I think back to the other point, Ira, is what we've developed here is not a, not an event led by players. It's an event led by the community. It's an event led by charity and philanthropy. And while the players obviously are the reason people are coming out here, they're also coming out here. There's a, you're a whole peripheral fan. I'll bet you 40 to 50% of our spectator audience, our crowd, our, our, our great fans are coming out here because they're having a great time. Right. I mean, that's, and that's the key. I mean, on Saturday night, I, I said on the show, last, I've never seen, I mean, there was a kid's event at the pool. I mean, the thing is you have the PJ National, you have this huge resort where these other golf tournaments are not played at huge resorts right. like this. It's difficult to go with, like you, in the Riviera, you can't even get into, I and mean, it's very small, it's old historic building and clubhouse. You can't really get into these places, but here you have this resort, you go to the uh, the I-Bar, stand around there, there's golfers walk through the lobby, you can have enjoy that, you can be at the pool, you have tents set up out there. It's like Saturday night, good for like four or five hours, it's just the biggest party in in, in, in Florida, really. No, it is, and you know, you, you reference Riviera, I mean, one of the iconic golf courses of all time, the whole world, right? I mean, Ben Hogan, Hogan's Alley, the whole nine yards there. It's fantastic, but that's a golf tournament. You know, no ifs, ands, or buts. That's a golf tournament. You've been there. You're going there later this week. It's a phenomenal golf tournament. It's, it's you know, look, the U.S. Open's a golf tournament. I mean, the, these events are designed to, you know, truly be the sport it is. Whereas we are as well, by the way, but in our community down here in South Florida, for us to be successful, we had to think out of the box. We had to build up areas around the golf course that are fun, um, which we've done, you know, with the bear trap and everything out there. And then, of course, um, you know, our new partnership with Corona out of 15. It's going to be twice twice the size, open to the public, right there on top of 15, where you've got sight lines of 14, 15, 16, 13, and 12. All five holes, phenomenal from the Corona deck. Um, and it's just going to, you know, it's, just, it's fun. I mean, that's what we're doing. It's all fun. Well, Ken, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports, and this is a really busy time for you. And uh, it's just been great to hear about the Honda. I can't wait for the tournament. It's in three weeks. And if you want to give the number out in terms of how to get tickets and how to, you know, all the different ways to be able to go to the event. Well, the best way, thank you, first of all, for having me. And, and uh, yeah, for, for those fans, go to our website. That's really the easiest. It's thehondaclassic.com. We have a new website. It's very easy to manage. Uh, and let me just end with philanthropy quickly, because the PGA Tour is all about philanthropy. Our, we, we, 
our, 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 our 501c3 children's health care charity is really Honda Classic Cares. That's how we DBA it. And, you know, we raised $5.1 million into this community last year. We're just under $45 million in the history of the Honda Classic. We hope to eclipse $50 million this year in their 39th year as the tournament sponsor. The tour just announced a couple weeks ago they've gone over $3 billion in charity since 1969 when they started and spun off from the PJ of America. So the way we measure a lot of our success is really what are we able to give back to this community and we give so much so much back to the Nicholas Children's Healthcare Foundation and over a hundred other children's related uh, charitable organizations and and that's really at the end of the day what the PJ Tour is all about. Yeah totally it's just a great I, I encourage everyone I mean I tell my friends that are in Pennsylvania and New York you gotta come to this. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna go to the US Open. I'm like, this is funner than the US Open. Like, this is a fun event. You get to see the golfers. It's, I just think it's a great event and I just encourage everyone, just even go out for a day. If you go out for a day, you're gonna get hooked. You're gonna go the next day and the day well, after. that's my point. Yeah, people getting dragged out here now they're, they're lifelong <laughs> fans, which is great. I mean, it's a successful business model. It's working and uh, this community really embraces us. And I've gotta thank all of your listeners and, and yourself and everybody else that really take care of us each and every year. So thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, Ken. Cheers. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Wrapping up, Ira on sports. Ira, um, just some breaking news really quick. Well, n- not necessarily breaking, but uh, FSU and Duke are going at it right now. What's the score there? 33-32 Duke at halftime. So I can't wait to catch the second <laughs> half of that game. <laughs> You're running out of the studio tonight. <laughs> and we did get some news from Tua, uh, Teglio Dovaloa. Um, it looks like he's going to be good to go soon. Well, that's great for the Dolphins. The Dolphins really want he's who the, he's who they're targeting, and he got great report on his hip. They said it's uh, the scans show that he's ready for football activity. So when he had that injury, people thought his career could be over, and now it looks like he's playing football in, a, in, a, in maybe a couple months. Crazy how quick these guys heal. Uh, the real breaking news here is the uh, XFL's New York Guardians fired their defensive coordinator already. One game. <laughs> <laughs> that's some breaking news. Real quick, UFC. I know you're a huge fan. We got to see John Bones Jones back in the ring this weekend. Well, he's considered weekend. the best UFC fighter. He's a light heavyweight champion. Champion. He wants to go down as the greatest of all time. He fought Dominic Reyes. It was and Reyes, who was undefeated, 12-0. Uh, was a, it was a close fight, and there was some people said, well, they thought Reyes should have won and the cards. But whole the whole theory is that if you're going to beat the champion, you got to decisively beat him. You can't take the championship by just you know tying. So it was, <laughs> but it was a good fight. It was very exciting. And Jones, it's Jones wants to fight a lot. You're going to start seeing. You're talking about McGregor. A lot of these UFC fighters now are in the, in the mode of fighting more than like at least three times a year. I uh, just real quick. Daytona 500 is right around the corner, and this is the Super Bowl of car racing. It's crazy. I mean, it's a weird sport that it starts with their Super Bowl as yeah. the first thing. And I have to admit, I've been to a zillion events, and I if the Genesis doesn't fall that weekend, I want to be in L.A. for the Genesis. So, uh, But Daytona is going to be, and I, I'm going to get up to there for one time. I mean, it's it started in 1959, and I remember watching the 70, 76 when Richard Petty won with David Pearson. They both crashed like Talladega Nights, which it was based out of. <laughs> and, then they, and then in 79, Cal Yarbrough and Donnie Allison were on the the infield going for the last lap and they were punching each other and Donnie's brother came in and started fighting. Uh, so it's 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 an exciting race and it's good for Matt NASCAR and it's only a you know up a, up you know very up north so if you about three hours two yeah. hours drive not too far so, from Daytona so it'll be exciting and we'll talk about it next week. Um, Ira, where are you headed this week? I think I can guess. <laughs> I think Genesis. We'll be at the Genesis. And what? No no heat. Uh, no heat games and no. Remember, it's All Star Weekend on Sunday, so it's a short oh, week yeah. for NBA. Uh, the NBA All Star game is in uh, in Chicago, so but uh, but no no NBA this week. I want to thank John Michael of the Cleveland Cavaliers, also Ken Kennerly from the Honda Classic for stopping by on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.